clip. That's what. What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have Connor Beaton. And so Connor is the founder of Mantalks.com, which is one of the leading resources online for guys who are curious about modern masculinity, exploring personal transformation, you name it. He also is a really well-respected life and executive coach working with both men and women. But today we focus on his big idea, which is an important and fascinating one. And it is about the power of facing your darkness. So the power of facing your shadow. And he introduces us to Jungian psychology, introduces us to the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind, shows us how so much of the parts of ourselves that we don't like are driven by this unconscious part of the mind, and really provides us with practical tools of how do we engage this part of the shadow self? How do we take more control of our lives so that our decisions, our actions are aligned with who we really are? So man or woman does not matter. Tons of great nuggets in this one. Without further ado, Connor Beaton. Uh, so I'm sitting here with Connor. This is our second introduction because in the first, I gave away my address and he looks at me and he's like, wait, don't do that. And I was like, you know what? That's probably not for the best. So I'm sitting here in the studio with Connor. Connor, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That was a great way to kick things off. And uh, for anyone that does want Andrew's email uh, or, or actual address, email me because I know it now. I'll, be, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send it off to you. Perfect. All right. So Connor, we are here to uh, talk about your big idea, something you wish everyone could integrate. But before that, I just love if you could provide a little bit of context on who you are, why you do what you do. So how do you answer the question? What yeah. do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that what we do is just intrinsically linked to who we naturally are, especially in this type of work. And so I don't think we can, it's sort of an existential answer in many ways. Um, but I don't think that we can necessarily define uh, what we do without sort of giving a little bit of who we are, especially when our work is tied to our story and our message and our lives. And so I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, I do the work that I do in the world today because my journey led me here. My purpose emerged from the path that life put before me. And um, not in like a, a righteous or like arrogant way, I hope it doesn't sound like that, but in a way of just acknowledging that my purpose and what I do in the world really came out of my, my past. And it came out of the, dis the, the dysfunction that I had in my family. And it came out of the challenges that I had with my father. My father left when I was three. And, um, you know, there was a lot of turmoil around that. I didn't really know why for a very long time. There was lots of questioning. I grew up in a household with, you know, a stepfather who, you know, during my childhood was pretty, um, you know, verbally abusive, emotionally, didn't really know how to connect on a, a, a on a deeper way. There was not like a lot of philosophical conversations. Um, and and that kind of put me on this path of in the background in, in my shadow, which I think we're going to talk about later on, of having this really... Uh, really interesting experience of experiencing the duality between my two families. My parents got divorced when I was three. They remarried. Uh, my mom remarried my stepdad when I was five. And my, my dad remarried my stepmom when I was six. And then when I was seven, they both had a daughter on each side of the family. And then when I was 11, they both had a son on each side of the family. 
and then they bought a dog. And so I grew up between these two polar op- opposite families, like completely opposite. Mm. And all I saw everywhere in the world was duality. All I saw was just like complete opposites everywhere. How are they opposites? Like, so my dad, for example, is very smart, very witty. Everyone loves him. He's very sociable. Uh, he's very creative and artistic. He's got a lot of very good soft skills. And then my stepdad is the polar opposite of that. He's like the emotional awareness sometimes is definitely not there. He's worked on it over the years. Um, but he's more of like your traditional, uh, what a traditional masculine archetype would sort of follow, right? He's very direct. He's, you know, a little bit of aggressive. Uh, he would sort of classify as like the 1950s alpha male. Mm. And, you know, he's an engineer. He's very like about linear and analytical tasking. Uh, So, you know, just seeing those differences in character traits between my fathers and then seeing the differences in character traits between my mom and my stepmom. My mom was, you know, sort of nurturing and caretaking. And she, again, was sort of like your traditional uh, woman. She didn't, you know, work. She did, um, which was amazing. But then you had my stepmom who is... Uh, completely different in the sense that she was like this high-powered executive. She's out there making money. She's making more money than my dad. She's crushing it, you know, in in business um, and trying to find her way as like this modern woman in the in the executive world. And so, and that just kind of goes through the the system of my my entire family. And you know, I think for me, the sort of story that came out of that, the dysfunction that came out of that, my shadow was like, oh, I don't belong anywhere, because here are these two complete family structures that I don't necessarily fit into. I don't really have a place in either of them. And so, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. later on in life, I learned that, uh, I sort of like had these, these signature, these markers of being like an orphan in, in some ways. I'm not really feeling like I belonged in either of these family tribes or family systems and then being able to see like all the differences. And so later on in life, as I sort of pursued my journey, you know, I left high school, went into singing, traveled the world, sang music, uh, hit a rock bottom in my life, managed to find this amazing mentor. This, I, I called him my, my little white Yoda. He's like this, <laughs> he's passed away since, but when I met him, he was like late seventies and he had been trained by Carl Jung way, way back in the day. And he had studied uh, Jungian psychology and I, he, he sort of entered in my life at this really uh, low part of my existence. And, you know, I, I had uh, been unfaithful in a relationship. I lost my career path. I, the relationship had fallen apart. She had left. Uh, I had lied quite a bit <laughs> trying to sort of salvage the situation. And, um, and I lived out of the back of my car for three weeks because I didn't want to tell anyone what was going along and what was actually happening in my life. And along came this, you know, incredible human being who I had known for a while. And, and uh, he managed to sort of pull me out of some of that by teaching me some of the tools that had been passed down through him through this like psychological lineage. And a lot of it was about the shadow and about our inner critic and about these parts of ourselves, the unconscious mind, how dreams work, that really started to unlock my own uh, identity. And before you get into your identity, it's one of the things I love to do on what's the big idea is to unpack some of these concepts that might be familiar yeah. to some listeners, but not all of them. And so when you look at the lineage of Jungian psychology, how would you unpack that a little bit and just help people get an overview of, of what that lineage really represented and brought to psychology and just yeah. general philosophy? Well, you know, back in the early 20th century, um, 
Carl Jung and and Freud were really like the two prominent forces. And Freud's methodology or infrastructure of like psychological infrastructure was sort of um, premised on the idea that the core root of the human psyche, the core root of the human ego and identity is all directed towards our sexuality. And so everything sort of funnels towards this primordial soup of sexuality, right? And and that's like the driving force. So we're we're either trying to avoid, you know, there's the basic instincts, but outside of the basic instincts of, you know, trying to stay alive and not getting killed, our identity is really all driven by sex. And Jung came along and said, I don't, I don't think that that's entirely true. I think that there are other forces in our ego and our identity that, that actually coincide with our drive for sex and reproduction, but, but supersede it. And, and, and it's a sort of a deeper part, I guess you could say. And that's where the shadow came into play. And the, the basic way that he's seen it, and many of the listeners have probably seen this before where uh, they've seen a, you know, um, uh, an ocean, so like a cutaway of an ocean, and there's an iceberg in the ocean, there's a little peak uh, sort of poking out the top and you've got consciousness on the top and then right below the water there's the subconscious right and that's you can just picture yourself standing right above the water on the iceberg of consciousness looking into the water and you can see some of the iceberg below and that part of the iceberg that's beneath the water that you can see is sort of your subconscious right you kind of know that it's there and that it's working in the background but you don't really know what it's trying to always communicate and then beneath that there's this huge massive beast called the unconscious mind and in the unconscious mind much of our um, habits that have been created over the years through interactions with our parents through being you know bullied or separated at school or winning trophies and swim meets and whatever it is all of these things have come together to sort of formulate this thing this um uh, unconscious part of our psyche that drives a lot of our behavior. And the challenge is, is that when we want to make changes in our life, oftentimes it's something that is residing or has been built in our unconscious mind. And many people are afraid to go in there, <laughs> right? Many people are afraid to go in there because some of that unconscious mind has been traumatic in the making. You know, it's been produced and, and manufactured and built and structured because of trauma or abuse or abandonment or neglect or, you know, emotional, verbal uh, neglect or sexual harassment or whatever it is. And so people don't want to necessarily go into their unconscious mind, whether it's through doing shadow work or really starting to look at some of their dysfunction or really starting to look at why the behaviors that show up in their relationship or how they sabotage financially all of these things in our lives are produced by the 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 shadow and the unconscious part of our part of our psyche, mm. and so um, so the work that I do is really digging into those unconscious parts and really saying, okay, why was this created? What was its origin story? What is it trying to say and communicate? Right, being able to sort of commune, I guess you could say, or, or communicate in a way with your um, your anxiety body. Could you actually loop it back? Cause you were just talking about how you started to re understand your own identity through this work. So what yeah. can you do there and then loop into kind of how it showed up in the work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the big questions when we have, um, contraction in our life, when we have dysfunction and we are, we, you know, a lot of people in the personal development space say like, oh, I feel like I'm playing small. 
Hmm. Another way of looking at that is we're, we're contracting our soul, our heart, our mind. We feel the scarcity. We know that we're not acting in a way uh, that is aligned with our, 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 our potential, what we know we're capable of, our highest version, however you want to label that. And so when I started to do this work, I started to really see how these behaviors, you know, why was I lying so much to people? Well, when I was a kid, you know, there was a constant message of you're an idiot. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never be successful. And so for me, these, I, I started to learn very early on how to manipulate people and situations and how to say the right thing and how to do the right thing so that I could get people to like me. And and that came about in such a way where it always left me feeling at arm's reach from people. And it was part of the dysfunction. And I started to see that it was reinforcing the story of I'm not good enough, right? And if I'm not good enough, then I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this relationship. I don't deserve this intimacy. I don't deserve to apply for that job or start that business. And so it would create this sabotage mechanism where I would act in these unconscious ways it's like I didn't want to hurt anyone while it was happening, but I would act in these very unconscious ways that that would produce hurt and that would produce suffering. And so when I started to look at it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like that insecurity has been built because of some of these circumstances. And as I healed and forgave the people that were involved in those circumstances, my behavior started to shift because what I was doing was literally working with the darkness within me, working with the shadow within me, understanding why and how it was created, understanding what it was trying to communicate and giving it what it needed so that it could heal mm. and it could let go a little bit. Um, because oftentimes our shadow is trying to control the uncontrollable, right? It's trying to control all the things in our life that are maybe threatening to us or scary or unknown, right? And it tries to cling on to outcomes in the future, you know, of, well, if I start that company, what's going to happen in six months? And it prevents us from starting the company because it spends a year or eight months just trying to predict all of the different outcomes that could happen in the future, rather than trusting the intuition and saying, I know that this is right. And I know that it'll, it'll sort of figure itself out. And when I make mistakes, I'll use those mistakes as a means of narrowing in the the sort of <laughs> mouth of the fire hose so that I can have more focus in on what I'm doing. Mm. And uh, so I started to really understand my uh, bad habits, why I did things, my own personal origin story. I sort of woke up to the dysfunction that was happening in my life, whether it was in my relationship or you know within my finances. I started to understand some of the stories that had made me who I was. Like, I'll give you an, a perfect example. When I started to do this work, I wanted to know what my story was around money. And man, that's a, that's like, if anyone really wants to peer into their soul <laughs> a little bit, go and look at your relationship to money. And so I started to ask the question, what is my relationship to money and how did that come to be? And I, rem I had this memory flash in of getting my very first credit card. And I was doing this exercise where I was like, okay, what are some of the messages that I received about around money? What are some of the narratives? What is my, what does my shadow not want me to know about money? And I got this memory that came up when I was 16 years old. My mom gave me uh, my very first credit card and my mom worked for one of the biggest banks in Canada and she was a manager there. 
And she gave me the credit card and, and you know, I was 16. I had 500 bucks a month to spend on it. And month after month, for whatever reason, I just couldn't seem to pay that damn thing down. Yeah. And I went to my mom because I, you know, I remember thinking to myself as a 15 year old, 16 year old kid, I was like, well, she works for the bank. She probably knows how money works. And so I should go ask her why I can't pay this freaking credit card off. Yeah. And so I went to her and she's like, oh, you know, that's normal. Don't worry about it. Debt's just a, debt is just a part of life. <laughs> and, and so in that moment, in my psyche, a part of my identity now became debt's just a part of life. But I didn't like that. Debt didn't make me feel good. Debt wasn't something that I wanted to carry around. Credit card debt wasn't something that I wanted that wanted that I wanted to be a part of my identity, whether people knew it or not. It's just it just wasn't something that I uh, consciously wanted. And yet there it was. And yeah. so I carried that debt. And at one point, you know, I had tens of thousands of dollars accrued on my credit cards. And I remember going through this exercise and being like, "Holy shit!" Like, no wonder. Not that my mom's at at fault for that, right? She, it's not about blaming her. It's simply about recognizing the, the messages and the patterns that when we were young, we didn't have a filtration system to say, well, that's absurd. We didn't have a critical methodology of, of consciously um, questioning whether or not that structure, that belief, that value actually serves us. We just sort of take everything on. And so we take on the good parts of our family system, our parents and our brothers and sisters and the people at school. But we also take on the really shitty parts, the dysfunctional parts that have been passed down through trauma or addiction or, you know, abuse or abandonment. And it doesn't even have to be something that comes externally. It's a story you can make up internally, right? Of like one of the biggest, totally. one, one of the biggest ones that I, I had to unpack this with my, my first court, my first coach, Lauren Zander. And she had me unpack some of these stories. And I remember the one that I had was from, I think... 10th grade mm -hmm. and it was going into algebra two and just sucking at algebra two and mm. i just couldn't do it yeah and i look back at the story i got out of that and it was you are not good with numbers yeah and i look back to 10th grade being 15 and ever since that day when i was confronted with what seemed like complex math or my finances i had an aversion to digging in yeah and because of that my mentality towards money was always i'm gonna make enough not to think about it yeah which is just like the epitome of avoidance <laughs> of not engaging with it. And then when I finally looked at this and she just looked at me and she was like, is this true? Yeah. And I was like, yes. And she, looks, she was like, are you sure? And I was like, well, no. And then she just says to manage your finances, all you really need, can you add and subtract? And I was like, yes. And she's like, so what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. What's you going on? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's so true, man. And so, and so now what is that built to for you? Kind of like with the work and what it currently looks like now. Yeah. So, you know, what it looks like now is being able to, you know, I've learned a very specific methodology over the last few years. And one of the things that I've learned is that when we disconnect from the emotion that is attached to the thoughts that our shadow gives us, because our shadow sort of like, you know, sabotage is an inside job. Let's just say that like our life sabotage in our finances in our family systems, in our health and wellness. It's an inside job and we sabotage it. Um, and so how that translates today is the work that I do with men and with women and with couples, um, whether it's about intimacy or finding purpose, it's about getting to the root of what created that dysfunctional belief, that limitation, that limiting belief, that um, behavior that is causing you to act in ways that 
that aren't aligned with who you want to be. And not only being able to pull those out so that you can see how dysfunctional they are, but giving you a bit of like a 360 degree understanding of why it exists and why you don't need it and, and how in the act of loving it, in the act of accepting it and surrendering to that, the fact that that's a part of you, that that's an inherent actual part of your psyche and accepting it in, it, it uh, releases power. Right there, it, 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 uh, sort of shifts from this like very negative, heavy, um, element within the, within the shadow of our identity. And it, it becomes lighter. It moves into the more conscious sphere of our mind. And we're sort of like populating our consciousness with these parts of ourselves, And we are expanding our consciousness literally by understanding a shadow depth of ourselves. And so it requires us to not only understand the thoughts, but it requires us to go into the emotion. And this is where a lot of men are blocked. They emotionally numb out with, you know, jerking off to porn four or five times a week. They emotionally numb out by drinking or, you know, smoking weed every single night and playing video games, you know, at 42 until three o'clock in the morning. And they're, you know, not spending time with their kids. And, um, and they find ways to numb out and it cuts them off from thinking and being able to see their thoughts. It cuts them off from being able to feel what they're experiencing because they've kind of been taught that as men, you know, the, the one, I like to say the one rule of men is, uh, don't talk about it, right? It's like the rule of fight club. You don't talk about fight club, hmm. the rule of men, you don't talk about what it's like to be a man, right? Hmm. If you're going through a divorce, if you just got diagnosed with like testicular cancer and your right nut's going to get cut off, you don't talk about these things. And so guys are out there generally not discussing some of these pieces. And even if they're talking about it, they're usually not really getting into how they feel about it. The sure. anger, the rage that they have, the, the like anxiety or the, the fear that they feel like, imagine being told tomorrow that you're going to lose your right testicle, you know, and that you had cancer. Imagine the fear that would just instantly be there. Um, because of course it would, you don't want to lose that. You didn't, you thought you were totally healthy. And then all of a sudden you're being told that you have cancer inside of your body. Yeah. And so for many, many men, those are very extreme examples, but it can show up in so many ways. And so there's a physical component of this as well, is that we, we also need to be able to experience our emotions in such a way where we allow them to communicate. You know, like imagine your psyche is just this huge uh, dining table and you're at the head of the dining table and on on one side of the dining table, you have all the parts of yourself, all the characteristics of yourself, all the moments in time of yourself that you love. You're like on that side, love all that side. It's great. Those are my gifts. Those are my strengths. Those are my really healthy attributes. Love those parts. And I love when people see them and validate them. So I'm going to keep showing them. And on the other side of the table, you have the rowdy bunch. You have the parts of yourself that you dislike. You have the parts of yourself that you shit on yourself for and that you criticize yourself for and that you are incredibly hard and abusive on yourself for. Because I think the reality is, is that when we really are honest with ourselves, every single person in the world at some point in their life is incredibly abusive to themselves, verbally, emotionally mentally, spiritually, in some capacity, sometimes physically, right? Or sexually. Uh, and, and so we start to look at this and we're like, okay, we're at this dinner table. On the one side is everything I love. On the other side is everything I hate. Everything that I want to get rid of. I want to avoid it. 
my anxiety. I want to get rid of it. My insecurities, fuck those. Don't want those either. Now, imagine that you only listen to the healthy, positive, loving side of the table. You love that side. You're like, this is great. I'm, I'm going to interact with this side. Hmm. But the other side's still trying to talk to you, right? It's still trying to say things to you. Your shadow, your insecurities, your anxieties, all of those parts are trying to talk to us all the time. If we've given them the middle finger and we're not listening to them, like just picture a child throwing a tantrum. You know, like when your kids get like super upset and they're angry or they're hurt because you've done something that you haven't given them. The, what, what happens when they get more angry? What happens when they get more sad and more disconnected? What do they normally do? They explode. They act out. Yeah, they explode. They, they, they work themselves up to a place until you will give them attention hmm. in some way. And, and if you won't, they will find a way to get your attention. And sometimes it's not in a way that you want. Uh, sometimes it's in very negative ways, like tanking your business or, uh, you know, doing things on your taxes that aren't, that aren't good or, you know, fucking around relationship in your marriage, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like screwing up a, a, a relationship and, and then they come out that way. So when we don't look at these parts, when we don't listen to them, they're still speaking, they're still acting. They are still at the, at the table and they still have a voice and we need to learn not just to how to become sort of like warriors of the light within us with the gifts and the parts that we love, but champions of our darkness as well. And this is really the call that all men uh, will experience at some point in their life is, can I face my darkness? Women will experience this too, right? Yeah. They, they have their own heroine's journey to go on to be able to say, can I face my darkness? And I want to, I want to bookmark when we talk about facing the darkness and then we're going to really synthesize like what Connor's big idea is today. But I think one thing that's important to talk about when we're here is because you just talked about what can happen when we don't acknowledge that shadow, that mm -hmm. voice is that ultimately it will make itself known. Mm -hmm. And if we're not acknowledging and doing that consciously, then it's going to come out in undesired ways and maybe yep. not just leaking, but you know, I really believe and this is, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of my study of Gestalt and Fritz mm -hmm. Perls would say that, which is not expressed is suppressed mm -hmm. and that over time, like that's where we get explosions of violence. And he yeah. felt that that was actually the, the, the reason for things like the Holocaust, which he lived through and things like that. And so I think, especially for men who are listening to this is that facing the shadow is not just about bettering ourselves, but it's when we're engaged in relationships, friendships, communities that we care about is that when we do this kind of work, we make ourselves more available to support the people that we care about. Mm -hmm. It's that because these things will rear their heads in ugly ways, ultimately. Yep. And so when we do this work, it's not just for us. It's for the people that we care about as well. Well, we, we often have a very externalized version of what doing the work is all about, right? And I think for a very long time, we've been sold a bill of goods that tells us, uh, you know, how you do the work is going to work getting a job, providing for your family and doing this very specific things, right? Going to church on Sunday, uh, you know, getting the, getting the partner and the buying the house and, you know, pumping out the 2.5 children. And then once you've done that, you have quote unquote done the work and you're, you're a, a functioning part of society. But oftentimes people aren't taught how to do the internal work to actually allow their external life to flourish right? We, we have to, it's like, it's no different than gardening. If your soil is shit, you don't grow anything mm. or, or, or what you grow is very 
uh, lacking in nutrients, which is actually what we need to survive, right? It's the, it's the quality of what we produce. If we had all of the kale and carrots and corn in the world, but they are devoid of nutrients, we would still die, <laughs> right? And so we need to plant a garden in fertile soil. We need to be able to plant our, our life in fertile minds and in loving hearts and in connected intuition. And without that, without that sort of alignment between our mind and our hearts and our guts and, and, and being able to do that internal work to love ourselves first and foremost, like you mentioned the Holocaust, imagine how hate-fueled Hitler must have been towards himself to look outside the world and, and uh, charge what he did and do what he did and act in those ways. It's like there must be such a, a hurt person inside of that person to go out and cause that much pain hmm. and you know there's sort of like a line there with with complete sociopaths which is is a very different sort of entity um but that's just an example is that hurt people hurt people we know that no one that no one that loves you is going to intentionally come at you uh unless they are in a space of of hurting hmm. and it's when they're in a space of hurting they become reactive and they attack you and so our job is really to come back to those uh, those pieces and, and find alignment. Wow, man. So we just set up a powerful foundation. So now if we move into, you know, what is the big idea, the thing that you wish more people, especially men, could integrate into their lives today? What What is that idea? What is that piece of wisdom? <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's hard to uh, to simplify it, but it really is. If I could condense it into maybe like a tweet form, <laughs> I, I'm like trying to cognitively run this through. Um, I think in tweet form, it is, we need to be able to learn to sit with our darkness and train it. And when we don't, it runs our life in one way or another. Yeah. And when we learn how to do that, we can also sit with the darkness of the world because there's a lot of it out there. And there's darkness in our families. You know, I think we need not go much farther than the dysfunction in our family to see darkness, hmm. right? To see dysfunction, to see conflict, to see avoidance or neglect or abandonment or abuse or addiction. We don't need to go very much farther than that. We can go out into our community, sure. We of, and we often do that, right? The joke of the ego is to take you as far away as possible to sort of go into these other countries and say, well, look at these people. I'm going to go help these people. And it's like, well, you need to help yourself. You need to start at home. You know, it's like what Ram Dass said. And just, <laughs> we're all just walking each other home. So, but we're trying to take ourselves back to the home within ourselves. Well, he also said, if you think you're enlightened, go and spend a weekend with your family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it's like, holy crap. You know, like I remember going home after I hadn't been back to my mom's place for like four or five years. And I remember going back and being at home and seeing the environment there and seeing the dysfunction that's, you know, like there's, there's addiction problems on my mom's side and there's, you know, there's, there's other challenges in, in that household and, and going back in that space and seeing that dysfunction and saying, okay, how do I take a stand for them? You know, how do I sit with their darkness? Not just my own. How do I love them anyway? in a boundaried way, you know, where their abuse is not uh, spilling into mine, but how do I love them anyway? How do I sit with their darkness? And, and surely it requires me to be in a very conscious, grounded, present, loving space, empathetic and compassionate space, because if not, there's the victim, 
right? There's the shadow. Oh, this place. Oh, this person. Oh, I can't believe that they did that or said that. I can't believe that you know they didn't do this or didn't say that. And and suddenly that part of us flares up and and there's the shadow taking over the head of the table, hmm. right? Driving the conversation, driving our interactions with our mom and our dad or our family members. And suddenly we're not sitting with our darkness in a way or our shadow in a way that allows us to love the people around us deeper or provide for them the space to uh, to unpack some of their darkness. It doesn't, it doesn't allow us to do that. All that it does is create more conflict, hmm. right? And we say that they're the problem. That person's the problem. It's not me, right? And then it, I see this big wave of spiritual bypassing now. Of, and this is a great spiritual, spiritual bypassing is just bypassing the shadow. Can you, can you define spiritual bypassing? I'd love to hear you speak to exactly what you think that is. Yeah, it's a really good question. So spiritual bypassing in its simplest form is avoidance of our own darkness, our own inner critic, our own, uh, sabotage, our own ego, or trying to bypass that outside of ourselves. And so we, we try and avoid it. We just try and get around it. A and we can see it when uh, we don't want to fully feel things, hmm. you know, like when there's anger there and you don't want to acknowledge that there's anger, spiritual bypassing instantaneously. And, and we see this a lot in the people that follow the Eckhart Tolle's of the world, but don't actually live his teaching. They don't quite comprehend the whole thing. They get parts of it. And so they walk around in the world and say things like everything's, everything's love, but they don't act like that, right? They get in their car and go out of the Whole Foods parking lot with their grocery bag full of kale chips and shit. And they're, and they're pissed off at the world and they're giving people the middle finger and they're almost running over bicyclists. And you're like, oh, you're not, you don't actually live the message. You maybe understand some of the things that he's talking about, but you yeah. don't actually live it. And so... I'm going to try and simplify that again because I kind of went off on a little No, I'm, I'm with you, but please but, do. But spiritual bypassing in its essence is when we, is when we oftentimes uh, unconsciously or consciously avoid our reactivity, our true emotions about a certain situation. And it allows us to play this game of holier than thou, of I'm more conscious than you. I'm more woke than you. I'm more... Uh, evolved in some way intellectually or financially or spiritually, especially spiritually, than you. And and we get to have this moral superiority over the other person and the shadow's got us, yeah. right? And the ego's in, in, we're in its grips. And what do you say is one of the things that I often hear from people, especially in the context of men's work, is when you think of some of the emotions, especially like anger, mm -hmm. is that there is some virtue in not allowing ourselves to express anger is that that's the cause of so much mm -hmm. pain in the world. And so, you know, when we think about people who are engaging in like a primal scream or, you know, beating a pillow in a gestalt like process session yeah. and they're like, why allow people to go to that space? Yeah. And I certainly have my opinions, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, providing a place for the expression of those types of emotions that people think oftentimes are harmful to society and in relationships. I think the simplest way that I could answer this is that repression and suppression are always unhealthy of, of any form. And usually the things, usually the things that we are repressing and suppressing just to clear, uh, make, make this a little bit more clear are things that are true within us. And we usually don't, we, we usually, uh, 
are not trying to suppress parts of ourselves or repress parts of ourselves that are um, unhealthy, right? Like we are usually suppressing these parts of ourselves that if we allowed ourselves to acknowledge them and feel them and, uh, and acknowledge that they're real and that they exist and that we can sit with them and, and communicate with them, then they would be a little, they would be released, right? And so there is merit with learning the mechanism that's at play within you so that when it comes up, you can see it and you can say, aha, I got you again. I see you again. The misconception is that we can do one of two things that we can one completely avoid it and it'll somehow magically go away. That's probably not going to work. <laughs> right. And, and Jesus Christ has said that. And the, the Bodhidharma has said that uh, the Bodhisattva has said that like Krishna has said that pretty much every spiritual teaching in existence has said, you can't escape your darkness. You can't escape your shadow. You just can't do it. And what you have to do is actually sit with it and communicate with it and learn to learn to love and accept it. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, I think it definitely did. And so now I'm curious when you said that of so that we can escape it. So now if we move into, you know, whether there are people here who've been engaged in some type of transformational work, men's work, where do we start? Mm. If we're ready to face our darkness, how does someone approach that? Yeah. Yeah. And I I just wanted to say one last thing on the last Please question, do. just because it popped in there. So we have to experience what something is like in order. It's like saying that you hate pineapple, but you've actually never really tasted it. You maybe have tried a watered down pineapple juice. You maybe have drank that, that shit from Minute Maid that's like laced in sugar. Yeah. <laughs> but you've never actually tasted a pineapple. And, and until then, you don't know how to, what to actually do with it. If you're a cook, you don't know what to do with it in a meal. You could be putting on something that, that it has no purpose in. A, a, things like anger, things like sadness, all of these things are an essential part of our being. It's not that we get lost in them. Yeah. It's also not that we are slaves to them. It's that we sit with them and understand them in such a way that, that they become our allies in being a being of peace and harmony and equanimity, right? Balance in the face of chaos, right? How do we find balance in the chaos of all of those emotions coming up? Not pretending that they're not there because we all know that doesn't work, yeah. right? And we try it for a very long time. And so the, the expression and the experience of those emotions like anger or grief or sadness and allowing ourselves to go into their depths and allowing ourselves to communicate with them is so that we can better understand them when they show up and we can better understand how to be the trainer of those emotions. It's like, you know, one is the jackal and the hyena and the other one is the lion. Anger for me is the lion. Yeah. Like you cannot have healthy, strong boundaries in your life without a little bit of anger because it is the, the sign that your boundaries have been crossed. Hmm. It immediately comes up and it says, whoa, 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 hold on. That's not okay. Like, you know, that, that doesn't feel good. It feels like someone's overstepping and being disrespectful or that feels incredibly intrusive or, you know, that feels actually abusive. And, and I am not going to stand for that. Right. Yeah. Again, it's, that's the teaching. That was the teaching of Christ. It's like go out into the world and set boundaries lovingly, you know, and he, there was times where he used his anger, right. Walking into the temple and flipping tables totally. and, <laughs> and, and yelling at people because they're defiling a temple. Right. And so every being needs to learn how to um, it's not that we want to eradicate something. It's that we want to understand something to its depth 
to such a degree where it becomes a part of us that's being used for good, a part of us that's being used consciously rather than something that is using us. Yeah. I, I, I heard someone speak of it as the, the skilled expression of an emotion mm-hmm. of just that of like, if we were to look to how the anger is performed culturally in movies of sadness, it's like anger is violence. Sadness yeah. is like escapism into alcohol or leaving. And it's like, so if those are the only models that we have to express these emotions or that we've been kind of like, you know, indoctrinated with then so much of, I think, what this has been for me through men's work is just, again, of experiencing them fully and then just practicing what does it look like to just give a voice to those things, Mm -hmm. to express those without expressing violence or escapism, but being present with them. And I remember like the culmination of that was like probably about a year and a half ago in a fight I was having with Mickey and I was so mad, but I just remember saying, looking her in the eyes and saying, I am so fucking mad at you. Mm. And I was and but how I would have expressed that four years ago was literally throwing a chair against the wall. Yeah. And that happened. Yep. You know? But I remember it and I was just like in that moment and I said and I expressed what I needed and I was like, and I need time to think. And I walked upstairs and I remember just having a moment of like, wow. Yeah. I expressed what was there. You know what I mean? And it, they, it, there was still more to process for sure. But it was just speaking to what was there in a way that just I, I'd never experienced or thought possible. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, anger and these and these other emotions, they are the things that allow us to also stand up to ourselves. You know, like I said before, I don't I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't identify as having an a sort of like an abusive part of themselves that's abusive towards themselves, the inner critic that is just so harsh. And maybe it's not with them today because they've worked with it, you know, for years. But pretty much everyone goes through this phase and goes through this space where they have to evolve past. uh, Maybe not evolve past. It sort of creates this. Anyway, but they have to learn how to work with With, these parts of ourselves that are um, inherently just really aggressive and so harsh. And when we treat ourselves like that, we go out into the world and do the same thing, consciously or unconsciously. And we need that anger to stand up to ourselves sometimes. Like a lot of the work that I do with men, it's like, you need to learn how to stand up to yourself. You know, why do you think it is that you aren't making the money that you want? Well, it's because you're treating yourself like shit. You're not actually doing the things that you want. Why do you think it is that you don't have the gym routine that you want? Well, because you actually don't have the discipline, which isn't a punishment. It's, it's a training. It's a practice. You don't, it's a rigor. You don't have the discipline to be able to stand up to yourself in the in the moments, the critical moments where the inner critic comes in or the sabotager comes in and it starts shit talking you. And it says, just go tomorrow. You know, the lazy part of you. Just, just hit snooze three more times, five more times. If we aren't connected with the warrior within us, with that lion, whatever, energy, with that warrior energy within us, whatever you want to label it as, we can we never stand up to ourselves because we've given that power away to that part of our shadow and so part of the shadow work is first and foremost learning how to stand up to yourself you want to learn how to stand up to your boss you want to learn how to have a better relationship and be able to ask and request for the type of sex and intimacy that you want to experience with your partner or just make it happen in your marriage it requires you to be able to tap into this part 
not back away, not submit and play small to the to the inner critic and the sabotager or that that lazy gelatinous blob that's within us all <laughs> to but to actually be able to stand up to it and say, no, enough. We're going to go do this like that's I've had enough and to literally be the father within us. That is part of this mm. men's work to be the sort of uh, wisdom of the father, the strength of the father that we all need within us. And for many men, they just haven't seen that example because maybe it was tyrannical. Maybe it was very authoritarian. Maybe the father or the father archetype that they followed or had in their life was abusive or an addict or completely abandoned them or showed them that a man's worth is simply in his performance. And so you have to work 90 hours a week and sacrifice your family in order to live a good life, right? So... So you just broke down into, and I love the concept of standing up to yourself. Mm -hmm. I just think that's just a powerful frame. And right after you introduced that, you really kind of keyed off on three areas where it feels like very, very accessible to do that. And so you talked about uh, your career, you talked yeah. about your health, and you talked about your love life. Yes. And so one of the things that we, we, we love to do on the show is to actually get into some of the, the practical techniques of how yes. we can do this. And so if we're talking about facing the darkness, about standing up to ourselves, which feels like they're very much linked, Yes. Um, you know, how do we do that? And I think that whether we want to tie it back to those three areas, but for the person who says, like, where do I start? What is the question that I'm asking? Where do you take people who want to dive down this path? Yeah, so I'm going to give you a very pragmatic answer first and then probably like tools and Let's practices after. Yeah. The pragmatic answer is you need to learn how to do this. You need to learn from someone who's taught themselves. You need to learn from a lineage of an apprenticeship. You know, we we have gotten rid of apprenticeship in our culture. Hmm. And one of the things that I do with Man Talks is our men's weekends and my training program is all about apprenticeship. It's about teaching people how to actually work with these parts of themselves so that they aren't passing this on uh, in their family. And, you know, part of, again, the masculine wounding is, is I don't want to talk about it. So I don't want to bring it. I don't want to admit that I don't know how to do this. I don't want to admit that I've never been taught. I don't want to admit that I've been trying for decades through, you know, reading books and listening to uh, maybe podcasts like these. <laughs> uh, but I've never actually gotten in the arena and done the work with someone who actually knows how to do this, knows actually how to grapple with the shadow and do gestalt work. And, um, and so part of it is go to a men's weekend, you know, a really good one, do some research, but go to a men's weekend and get around men who are doing this. Hire someone that does work like I do or like you do. Really actually invest in it. And there's, there's a, so much of this coming out. It doesn't have to be, uh, a, a men's program specifically, but generally that is where this type of shadow work is happening. Uh, find someone who's willing and capable and able to teach you how to become a practitioner with your shadow. And what is the resistance in men to doing that? And I think that this started of like, you know, to, to coach. And I think that so many people hear about a life coach or business coach and they have the immediate resistance, especially in men. Where does that come from? What is that resistance in us to venturing into these kind of unknowns? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the, it's a great question. And the simplest way to put it is we both love and fundamentally, vehemently hate being challenged. Hate it. 
We resist the fuck out of it. We love it and we need it. And it's where we expand and grow, which is, by the way, where our purpose is found. Like purpose expansion is just when I work with people, it's just like, yeah, you want purpose? Find it in expansion. How can you expand in your life in every way, in your health, in your finances? How can you expand in your love and sex and intimacy and your communication, in your mindset? That is purpose. That is our function here in, in this existence. And so um, I kind of got sidetracked there. But, but the, the, the basic of it is, is find someone who will teach you how to do this. What was your initial question? Because I feel like I veered off. There. Well, it was a little bit about like the resistance in people to dive oh, yeah. into this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay. We love and hate challenge. Yeah, we love and hate challenge. And we have been uh, taught that men are in competition with men. Right, we have been taught that men are in competition with men, hmm. and that our we're playing this game of how do I climb the hierarchy faster than you? Hmm. And so we are when we see another man. When you really think about it, and I, I, I wondered this question for a long time: Why are we so resistant as men doing the work? Because women aren't, right? Women will dive straight into this. They are eating this up, and that is why in the world they are really advancing quickly. Like they are really making some huge waves and changes. They still have a long way to go. <laughs> they still have a lot to overcome. And and they actually need us to step into this work as well so that we can create more space for them in the workplace, in the home, in the financial you know, uh, economy. We need to be able to step into that work so that, so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder them, with them. Because the reality is we, we actually don't know how to compete with women because hmm. they have this huge emotional component an emotional understanding and connectivity that we as men have uh, created a virtue to cut ourselves off from. We have said invulnerability is the highest form of masculinity. And I need to find a way to do that by myself. I need to, way, I need to find a way to become invulnerable by myself. And so I won't open up. I won't talk about these things. I won't allow myself to be supported by other people. So we love challenge. But we don't want to be challenged by other men because it brings up this visceral, primal feeling within us of that we're about to get into some sort of altercation. Like if you think about when you meet guys that are are, are new, whether you are in a bar, I like I remember I remember going and being in the club scene. <clears throat> this is back in the days, you know, in my early twenties, <laughs> and I'm like 240 pounds. I am jacked, like I am big. <laughs> I'm doing construction. I'm working out all the time. I'm starting to sing opera of all things. It was a weird time. Uh, and I'm huge, right? And I was all about sex. I was all about women. That was my prime focus at yeah. that time. And I remember when I would go to a club and I'd be with my buddies and I would meet one of their friends. My natural reaction, I could feel this thing within me, judging him, sizing him up. Could I take him? You know, do I, do, am I financially more powerful than him? Like these sort of things would come up. And so we, when we see other men, there is a, almost an unconscious dick measuring contest that happens like that. And, and what we need to do is come back to a space of being able to allow other men to challenge us, mm. being able to allow other men to, to, to love us, to be able to push us yeah. and push us from a, from a place of saying, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you forward calling you forward into the man, the husband, the father, the business leader that I know you're capable of. Hmm. So there you go. So number one is opening ourselves up to apprenticeship, yes. to mentorship. Yes. And then second, where do we go from there? <laughs> Thank you for condensing all this. <laughs> um, we need, so we need a few things. We need a, 
uh, practice for our mind, yeah. practice for our heart, uh, practice for our body, and a practice for our spirit. Hmm. And um, and the spirit is usually the hard one for the guys. You know, we we tend to want to focus in on one really heavily, right? We want to focus in on getting our body super jacked. You should take care of your body. You absolutely should have a practice. So my my practice is as follows: I do breath work every single day. Uh, I do different methods of sometimes Wim Hof, sometimes breath. Uh, um, techniques that I learned in singing and all of these are meant to connect me to a deeper sense of presence and calm and peace and your breath allows you to infiltrate your nervous system your nervous system when it's hijacked is is going to cause all sort of chaos and if you grew up in an, uh, an abusive home or whether it's abandonment or you know these experiences of like PTSD from car crashes or being at war your nervous system is jacked up or mm. if you if you've grown up with a lot of anxiety or, you know, um, ADD, your, your nervous system is constantly taking over. Yeah. And so breath practice daily. Absolutely. You know, taking care of your body from a space of finding an activity that you love hiking. I go, I go hiking, I go boxing, I go kayaking. I try and do as much as I can. I still love going to the gym, all of those pieces. You need to have a mindset practice. So for me, that's meditation. And my favorite is I've created something called the fire meditation. And I will do, it's a combination of breathing in moments where I feel the most flooded, the most overwhelmed by anger or anxiety or frustration. Mm. And that's where I'm like, okay, I see you. I'm going to get in the ring with you. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get in the ring with myself and face my own mind. And that's a hard practice. You know, I hear so many guys are like, I don't, I can't meditate. I don't know how to meditate. And it's like, no, you do. You are just allowing yourself to be overrun by your mind. And it's terrifying and scary. Absolutely. Which is also why you need to be trained how to use it. The last piece is um, really about the spirit. And this has so many different components of it. I, you know, I, I almost want to create a separate one around uh, around honoring the feminine and the masculine because mm. you have to do the work to heal your relationship to men and the masculine and women and the feminine so that you can honor both equally and not constantly be putting one above the other. And that that fundamentally happens in uh, in men's work. And so whether you have a men's coach or you do an apprenticeship or you do a men's weekend or you just start by reading Way of the Superior Man yeah. and becoming curious um, or No More Mr. Nice Guy and becoming curious, yeah. whatever that is. Uh, but the last part is the spirit. And I think the unfortunate part is that for many people, the spirit has been um, indoctrinated into religion. <laughs> and this part of ourself that is, um, whether you want to call it soul, whether you want to call it your essence, whether you want to call it your pure conscious awareness of everything, like whatever you want to call it, for most people, it has been adopted by religion and turned into something that we worship rather than something that we are or something that we allow ourselves to experience. And so that can be um, through mindfulness. That can be through going and doing, you know, a, a, a psychedelic journey and doing mushrooms. That can come through LSD or ayahuasca. How do you define it? How do I find the journey there? The spirit for you. I define the spirit. I think the the best way that I have felt that is loving awareness. Hmm. And um, that's something that I had felt within me for a very long time, but didn't ever really have a word for 
until I heard you know Ram Das talking about it one day where he said you know your 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 soul is just a form of awareness of love and I was like oh yeah it's <laughs> just my my soul is just this and I without because we could do a whole podcast on the soul um, but but without going too far, it is just loving awareness. It is the awareness that it's the mirror. How about this? I'll remove as many, I'll make it as cold as possible. It is the mirror that observes everything in a loving way. And that's the soul. And it's always there. And many of us just have lost the ability to touch it or even feel it. And I, and I come into contact with Christians and Hindus who, you know, have complete, who, who, or Muslims that, that are not connected or Jews or whoever it is that are not connected to this essence. And they sort of talk about the, the religious ideologies and they practice a certain belief, but they oftentimes aren't connected to the essence or the feeling or the experience of what that actually is, of what the teachings of those religions are pointing towards you experiencing, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think, and I, I recently, I had to uh, read a book on the journey of souls for a wedding that I was officiating. And so I started to learn more about souls and transcendence. Yes. And one of the, the concepts I thought was so powerful was, if you look at the word transcendence, it's something beyond the physical experience. And then you look at Abraham Maslow and how he amended his hierarchy of needs that, you know, yep. self-transcendence is now at the top over self-actualization, which is still mistaught all over the world in school. And so when you think about the concept of a soul, whatever yeah. that means to you, you know, whether that's something inside of you, whether that's something cosmic and all around you, but that when we work on that, when we become present to that concept, the spirit is that it allows for the transcendence of the physical self to something greater. Yeah. And so ultimately when we think about it, like Maslow would say is that trying to actualize the self is a fallacy unto itself. It's that we have to align ourselves with something that's inherently greater. Yes. So whether that is a cause or a community or a spirit or the soul, it allows for the deepest expression of, of really who you are. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in practices like Zen Buddhism, they have koans. And the koans are all designed in a way, they, they're basically riddles to get you to think in such a way. They're, they're, they're sort of like Chinese word puzzles, but they're Japanese. Uh, they're designed in a way to create a remembrance within you that you're a part of everything. And that you start to see yourself in all of these absurdities, in all of these moments that have existed maybe in your timeline or all of these moments and experiences that have existed in someone else's. And you start to see yourself as not as the total, but you start to see yourself as an intrinsic, uh, undeniable part of it. And it's not just a understanding of a mathematical equation. It's an, it's an actual experience that you have. And so, but that, that experience is something that it's like, um, try and explain anger to someone who's never experienced anger. Hmm. What do you, how do you do that? How do you say, how do you say to someone, well, this is what I experience. Try and, and explain to someone, this is the experience that I had of being loving awareness of being a soul. People would be like, oh, you're out of your goddamn mind. Hmm. Right. It's, and it's and it's because a lot of people maybe just haven't touched that part, but it's no different than it, it's it's hard. Like I'm using an analogy of an emotion, and it's not necessarily a, an emotion; it's just an experience. 
Um, but for, for most people, like just do that thought experiment. Imagine trying to explain to someone uh, the experience of sadness or of joy and then trying to evoke that emotion within them, mm-hmm. right? You'd, you'd have to do something. You have to do something to actually try and emoke that, uh, evoke that emo- emotion or that feeling or that experience within them so that they can experience it and they can start to explore what that experience is. And so when I say, you know, the soul or the spirit is loving awareness, that is, those are the words, those are the, happen to be the two structures through, you know, vibrations of my vocal cords that happen to describe what the experience actually is. And everyone needs to find what their own experience of that actually is. And I think that for a lot of, a lot of men, they, this is sort of like the final, not the final, that, that sounds wrong. Uh, because every, every man starts somewhere different on the map, right? <laughs> they all, we all start somewhere different that we have, we have this sort of karma that we have to go through. Um, and so we, but we all have to try and find our way there at some point to just touch what that is, that peace within us that some people talk about it like that. I think that's how Eckhart Tolle talks about it as, uh, the now, right? The, the experience of being the now, not being in it, not just being aware of it, but literally being the now. And it's something that is so big that our mind can't understand it. It's like climate change. There's so many people that don't understand climate change simply because they're like, I don't understand the totalitarianity, like the, the bigness, the, the gargantuanness of climate change. Mm. I don't actually understand it. And so to really understand the impacts or what could happen or if it's even real, that's a huge problem. And I think in the United States, like there's this big culture here that people don't understand and not just the United States. I think uh, not meant to pick on them. I think it's other countries as well. There's tons of other people in countries um, that just don't understand and they can't comprehend what it actually is. And so, but if they spent some time simply getting to know it, they could see this sort of bigness of the problem that we're facing with climate change. And so too, can they experience the, uh, the experience of what it is to be a spirit, to well, be a soul. And I mean, I think that the analogy goes even deeper, right? Of not understanding a complex issue such as climate change and being okay with not knowing or being a beginner in these arenas and how yes. important that is. Yes. And I mean, I've been the- doing this for like a, I've been on this for dozen years yeah right and and many different pathways of learning and healing and working with the darkness and the shadow and seeing it show up in other people and seeing how it shows up in other people and and really seeing how it shows up within myself constantly and it is such a beautiful practice it's like that's the mindfulness that people are actually talking about is noticing our darkness when it arises and being able to work with it and and learn to be the loving awareness of it hmm. and working with other people's darkness out, outside of ourselves. And, you know, whether it's the barista in the coffee shop or the person that cuts us off, not, not letting our reactivity and our shadow lead the charge in that interaction because who knows what's going on in their life? Who knows? You know, like it's... It's an opportunity to take a stand against yourself. It's an opportunity for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think the challenge with this is, is that it sort of forces us to turn and take an about front to the unknown. 
and we sort of stand in salute to it and we say, I'm here and I don't know what you are and I don't know what's coming and I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why this is happening to me or why this is happening in me or around me, but I'm just going to face it as much as humanly possible. And we try and keep our eyes open for as much as we can to face our darkness so that it doesn't reign over us. And because in, in, I mean, and in the darkness in the outside world is oftentimes the unknown, right? Like we think about, uh, Stephen Covey put it great in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He's got the circle of influence and the circle of non-influence. And the circle of influence is like this little tiny pebble. And then you've got this huge, 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 massive circle of non-influence, which is all the things that we have no control, no influence over. And to be able to love all of that hmm. is incredibly challenging. To be able to love the things that we, you know, death. You know, I look at, there's a lot of men that have uh, a deep fear of death. Like I talked to my dad about this the other day and he, you know, he's watching my uncle uh, slowly pass away from ALS. And for him, it is, I think, not only uh, deeply saddening, but it is a process where he's meeting his own mortality. He's 65 years old and suddenly he's like, oh shit, like that's, not maybe not this circumstance, but that's coming for me. This unknown thing is coming for me. And, you know, he's the, the one of the things that stood out to me. And uh, I've asked him if I could share this kind of stuff on, on some podcasts and he's totally fine with it. But he said, he said, you know, the thing that stands out to me is I realize that I have this fear of going out of dying in this way that's out of my control. I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want that to happen. He said, I, what I really want is I just want to be sleeping and just go one night, you know, or like, uh, and I always joked around in my early 20s. I was like, yeah, mid orgasm. But then I realized that that's probably pretty horrible for the other person. So it's like, yeah, maybe just sleeping's probably okay. Or like, you know, laying on my deathbed, holding my wife's hand, I think would probably be uh, not just sentimental and, and romantic, but just a way that I think it, it'd be, very peaceful and beautiful to end. Yeah. Um, so we have to face the unknown. We have to continue to find ways to surrender to the unknown. And, and that is such a huge challenge, but it's part of facing the darkness because the dark, we don't know what's in there, right? We just don't know what it holds. Well, and it's like the inherent path of growth, right? Yes. It's like, if you're not there, then you're not on your edge. You're not actually growing. Yeah. And so it's like the idea of, I think like one of the most common Googled terms is, is stuck and how to get like unstuck. <laughs> and it's just the idea of like, if you're in that place of like not growth of not knowing how to move forward in a way yeah. of like, that's the answer. It's yes. just pushing up in an area where you're against an emotion that you're unfamiliar with, yep. that you're uncomfortable just toying with or exploring a little bit deeper. Yeah. And so one of my final questions that I want to ask you is that when you think about your journey, you said you've been at this for the better part of a decade now. Um, how are you most different now than from mm. when you started not being aware of this unconscious, unconscious Connor man to today? Yeah. 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 What's most different with who you are and how you interact with the world? I would say that there is much more intentional direction. There's much more purpose in my life. Like there is there, there it's, it's actually all purposeful. 
or as much as I possibly can. That's the game that I play with myself is how much can this be purposeful and intentional? How much can the work that I do be purposeful and intentional? How much can the, the intimacy and the, the, you know, sex that I have with my wife be purposeful and, and, uh, directional and like intimate and something that I deeply crave and want. How can the, the way that I'm of service to people in the world be purposeful and so that that is the huge huge shift is that it's like how do i make money that's purposeful as well it's not just this unconscious thing where i'm building products that i don't give a shit about working for people that i don't like in a company that i think has shitty values right that is an unconscious and then we stay in that place and we say oh you know but i can't do anything else because of circumstances and all this kind of stuff we create in a very purposeful and intentional way what we want our lives to look like and we go after it. And so the difference between me today and me a decade ago hmm. is that so much more of my life, if 5% of my life was purposeful and intentional before and the other 95% was just kind of doing its thing, totally. you know, drinking its face off and partying and having sex and all this other kind of stuff and you know, trying to figure out what, like why I was here and what the hell I was doing and where I was going. Now there is so much more intentionality and direction and purpose within my life. It doesn't mean that I know what the end looks like. It doesn't mean that I know what things are going, how things are specifically going to turn out in five years. But I have such a depth of peace and presence with where my life is at right now that if you, if, if you could bottle up how I feel inside and ship it back to myself 10 years ago and just let let him drink the <laughs> the feeling that i experience right now he would be like that's not possible sure. that is not possible that sounds insane how could this how could this amazing beautiful joyous outcome be possible and what it does for me is say what is it going to be like in another decade when i continue on this path how good can it actually get knowing that like I don't need all the money in the world. I don't like it's, that's not it. It's how good can my internal and external uh, experience get through purposeful and intentional creation. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I was introduced to in uh, Gestalt. And it was that with awareness comes choice. Mm. And like so much of what you're talking about. And I have this visual of the iceberg and like yep. young from the very beginning of just like, gradually just the water receding and just having more of the iceberg above the water yeah. and just having your decisions about relationships, about career, about finances being driven from a place of you actually yeah. making the decision as opposed to subconscious beliefs yep. and stories that have been there forever. And the more aware you are of who you are, what you really fucking want, why you want it, then the decisions you make are going to be more aligned with who you are. Yes. Yeah, a, a thousand percent. The analogy that just came to my mind as you were speaking was we sort of have to like scuba dive into the waters of the unconscious and chip away at the at the unconscious mind so they can float back up and we can like attach it to the iceberg of our consciousness to build out this uh, more fruitful platform from which we are floating through life and existence. And it also reminded me of uh, Alan Watts. And one of my favorite talks by him, uh, he gave this great talk. I'm going to try and do, I'm going to try and do Alan Watts. You ready for this? Get it. Let's do it. So, uh, in one of his talks, he says, what if, <laughs> what if you are the way you are 
and there's simply nothing you can do about it. What if you are the way you are and there's absolutely nothing you can ever do about it, then what are you left with? You are left with nothing but observation and awareness of what is happening now. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's the path that we find. What does that mean to you? For me, that means... Also, that was really fucking good. Well, <laughs> well done. I was cracking up over here. But. Uh, for me, it is a path in life, in existence. And it's not only... It doesn't mean it has to be the path. It doesn't mean it has to be the only path. But it is certainly a path that I have found to be deeply immensely powerful not in the way that it had that it takes power from other people not in the way that it oppresses other people's power or diminishes it not in a way where it says i need your power in order to exist it is done in a way where i get to empower myself through the empowerment of the world mm -hmm. and that i get to love myself more deeply through the act of loving other people and that there's an immense amount of purpose and functionality in that and it brings healing and love and joy and light into my family and into my life. And it doesn't mean that everything's perfect. And it doesn't mean that I'm living some sort of, you know, like that I'm, that I'm like living this, uh, this like <laughs> Christ-like life. It simply means that I come back to this space every single time that I can mm. to have more direction, to bring in more love, to bring in more of what is fruitful and good and nurturing and uh, boundaried and true in the world. And in that, when we honor what's true, we find a deeper sense of freedom. And that's what all of us as men just crave. We crave freedom and purpose. And that's the paradox of masculinity is that we want purpose, but in it, we realize that there's sort of that, that this freedom, uh, it sort of infringes on our freedom. And so when we feel like we're getting close to having this purpose, which would be liberation and freedom simultaneously, our ego pops up and says, ah, 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 you're getting too close. You're going to be in this cage and you're going to be in this cage of doing this thing or being this entity. And it pulls us back and it, and it stops us from going there. And so to summarize for me, it is, it's a form of, yeah, purpose, direction, love, freedom, joy. And truth. Yeah. And truth. And truth. As man. close as I can get it. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. I, 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 I have this thing now when I work with clients where I oftentimes get out of the way and I just say like, I accept that if I'm just fully present, that whatever's supposed to come will come. And as you were speaking about that, I had goosebumps and then like, I've started to call them the truth bumps because it's just like, you're in the presence of truth. Yeah. And it's so obvious sitting across from you, looking in your eyes, man, that this is your truth Yeah. and something that you're just so called to do that helped you through your valley, yeah. you know what I mean? Through your uh, long night of the soul. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch you do it in the world, man. Thank so you. much respect for who you are, how you're showing up for men, women, humanity. So for anyone who wants to dive deeper, whether that's into shadow work, whether that's into, you know, deepening their relationship and the love they want, where can they find you? What's the best way to connect and what kind of stuff do you have coming up? Yeah, thank you. Um, definitely, <clears throat> you can go to mantalks.com or conobeaton.com. 
Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram, so you can come come over there. He's uh, he's excellent on Instagram. I I was just sharing. I was like the amount of content that he's pulling out uh, every single day is really amazing. So for for especially men, women that are curious about the evolution of masculinity, it's really powerful stuff and really consistent. So definitely check it out. Thank you. Yeah. So that's just at Man Talks. You can. Uh, follow along the journey if you ever want me to cover topics. I, you know, I'm like a DJ in that in that way. I take requests. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then you know, I've got the the Man Talks podcast, which is going to be switching over to just the Connor Beaton show because my sort of message has expanded outside of men and masculinity, and I've started to do a lot of work with my wife with couples, and so we've you know led couples intensives, and we have a, a program to to support. Uh, couples and singles in the ever evolving world of dating life and intimacy and sex uh, and communication and all those great pieces. So um, yeah, some people can follow, follow along on, on that platform. Amazing. Well guys, we're going to have a bunch of links in the show notes. We're going to uh, highlight some of those retreats and everything else that's coming up, but Connor love the conversation, my friend. So happy you could do it. Thank you for the time. Thank you so much. All right, brother.